Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, while I'm speaking this morning, we're going to have um, some slides projected above me. These are slides taken from a long walk that I did back in the year 2005. And um, you might find that there are a few, in your judgment, a few too many pictures of a middle-aged, red-haired woman, and you might start worrying about this professor up front being obsessed with that middle-aged, red-haired woman. I just have to tell you that that's my wife. And uh, so it is true that I am obsessed with her, but I believe my obsession is appropriate. I like to say about my walk that I once walked 500 miles or 800 kilometers to attend a church service. Back in the year 2005, I walked on the Camino de Santiago in Spain. The Camino de Santiago, its name literally means the Way of St. James. It's in the northwest part of Spain, and um, it's in honor of St. James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the son of Thunder, you know him, one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And the Spanish are very fond of St. James, Santiago, because they believe that he was the first person to bring the gospel to Spain. And so he is the patron saint of Spain, and there's this city in the northwest part of Spain called uh, Santiago de Compostela. A cathedral is built in his honor, and for over a thousand years, pilgrims have been going to that city to, um, to pay tribute to what St. James did for the gospel. It's, uh, in medieval times, it was the third most important pilgrimage destination. It followed only Rome and Jerusalem. And in medieval times, millions walked it. And in the last few years, it's becoming popular again as tens of thousands of people are walking it. I walked 800 kilometers of the route in 2005 over the course of 31 days. And this past May, a group of 17 of us went on it as a Tyndale course. And next May, we're going to do it again. We're going to walk the last eight days of the Camino de Santiago. So take note of that. Limber up and get your legs in shape and come along with us. Since we've been talking about journey themes here in the, in the chapel, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about this pilgrimage that I walked. Now, the first time that I heard about the Camino de Santiago, I was in Europe for a few months. I was researching a book on prayer, and I considered my trip a pilgrimage. And so while I was walking, or while I was researching, rather, I wasn't really doing much walking. While I was researching, I started reading as well books about pilgrimage, and I kept hearing about this Camino de Santiago. I really didn't know much about it, and I was perplexed about why it would be so popular. And as it turns out, somebody I know walked it around this time, and he wrote a book about it, and I read that book, and the book was about blisters and thirst and heat and sore muscles and hunger and pain. And my response when I heard this was, why would anyone do that? I did not get it. But later that same year, I began, almost on a whim, to walk on a part-time basis the Bruce Trail here in Ontario. The Bruce Trail is also 800 kilometers long. And to this day, I'm still not even sure exactly why I decided to walk on the Bruce Trail, because I had never been an outdoorsy person. I've never liked physical endeavors. In high school, as soon as phys ed was no longer mandatory, I dropped it. And after that, I always liked the approach of Mark Twain, who said, 
if you ever have the urge to exercise, just lie down until it goes away. <laughs> but something compelled me to walk on the Bruce Trail, and I started these long-distance walks. I was a pastor then, so I walked on a part-time basis. Mondays were my day off, and I walked. And one of the things that I noticed was when I went on these long walks, something happened to me that was very similar to what happens to me when I'm on retreat. When I went on these long walks, I started to detach from stress and preoccupations. I started to recognize where my life had gone off balance. I'm a lot like Bruce Coburn, who says, I've never lived with balance, though I've always liked the notion. On these walks, I would start to breathe more deeply and slowly, and I would talk to God, and I would listen to God, and I would make resolutions about how to get and keep my life on course. And this was a lot like what happened to me whenever I went to a monastery on retreat. I've been going to monasteries since the early 1980s. But the added benefit was when I was going on these long walks, not only was I having these wonderful effects, but I was also outside. I was enjoying nature. I was getting vigorous and invigorating exercise. And as I thought about this, as I thought about this experience, walking on the Bruce Trail, I thought, you know what? It's a shame. It's a shame that Christians don't understand that walking can be a spiritual exercise. So I felt sorry for myself a little while, and then I realized, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong about that. Christians have recognized that historically, and we recognize it in the practice of pilgrimage, a practice that mostly got set aside by Protestants after the Reformation. But now we are living in an era where the old divisions of Christianity are breaking down, and Christians eagerly embrace, rediscover, and reclaim a wide array of church practices. And one of them is the practice of pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is a journey where we seek to encounter God or the things of God and where the encounter somehow transforms our life. So once I realized the relationship between walking and pilgrimage and spiritual discipline, I decided that I had to walk the preeminent Christian pilgrimage route, the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James in Spain. And as I say, I walked the Camino for 31 days, I carried all my possessions in my backpack, and along the way I relied on hostels and cafes and restaurants and public fountains and grocery stores for my basic needs. And this was easy to do because villages along the Camino de Santiago have welcomed pilgrims for over a millennium. They're very good at it. And as I walked, I was deeply aware of and encouraged by and appreciative of the Christians who traversed this path over the centuries before me. And I was also heartened by the many folks I met along the way, pilgrims who are walking it now. For me, this was a rich and vivid experience of the communion of saints. I was not doing this journey as hard as it was alone, but I found myself to be in very good company indeed. Several elements made this pilgrimage particularly prayerful and meaningful for me. Every day, as I read and reflected on scripture excerpts about James. Now, you probably know that although James was part of Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter and John, little is reported about him in the Gospels or in Acts, unlike Peter and John. His presence is noted, a few of his actions are observed, but almost none of his words are recorded. And still, if we read his story carefully, 
we see that James was faithful in dramatic ways to Jesus. He abandoned his work and father the very moment that Jesus called, for example. He also experienced temptations along the way that I recognized in my own life, unruly ambition, hostility to others who do not share one's faith perspective, divisive competition with the other disciples. But in the end, James gave his life for his faith, as we read in Acts 12. There were other spiritual disciplines that were important for me. As I walked, I employed a handmade rosary that a friend had given me, and I used it to pray the Lord's Prayer and to sing a number of Teze songs over and again. Every day, I wrote long journal entries, and while walking, I prayed for family, for friends, for acquaintances, and for fellow pilgrims that I'd met along the way. And I must tell you that as I walked, I was overwhelmed by the beauty of the Spanish geography, the mountains, the vineyards, the rivers, and the plains. And when I prayed on earth as in heaven in the Lord's Prayer, I felt that heaven and earth were very close to each other in a way that I had never experienced before. I saw how those spheres are deeply intertwined. I had never seen that connection so closely before, not in church, not on monastery retreats, not in private devotions. I perceived something new by virtue of uh, so deeply encountering natural surroundings while also being prayerful. As I, as I went home, and there was some irony to that, after walking 800 kilometers, I think I took four planes and a train and a taxi ride, and I finally got picked up in a white minivan. But as I went home, I tried to remember what it was, what, what were the themes that I believed God was trying to say to me along the way. And there were three themes that I heard loudly and clearly. One was simplicity, the other was hospitality, and the third was providence. One challenge, when, uh, one challenge for me to think about was simplicity. Most of the books that you read about the Camino say that people carry way too much. And what happens when people carry too much day after day is they start leaving their stuff behind in hostels or shipping it home or shipping it on ahead. I had one friend who had a 50-pound pack that he wore every day because he wanted to carry his camera equipment along. I have another friend, a new friend along the way. He was a Canadian, and he even had a big can of maple syrup in his backpack because he wanted to have real pancakes somewhere along the way. My own weight problems were a little more predictable for those who know me. I could not imagine going with less than six books. I had a Bible, a prayer book, a journal, a novel, a root guide. So the Camino raised questions for those of us who walked with our possessions on our back over and again, how much is enough? And how much is too much? These are obviously relevant questions to how we live here in North America with our affluence and our prosperity. Life on the Camino was very focused and simple and direct. While I was underway, I had no cell phone and only very sporadic access to email. My life was concentrated on walking six to eight hours per day. And then I had to work on cleaning myself up, my clothes, arranging for food, finding lodging, and resting. Life was direct and undistracted. 
And that certainly, I think, gave room for the rich prayer that I experienced, and also for spending ample time with all kinds of people, pilgrims and seekers around from around the world, a very rare experience for a workaholic introvert such as myself. This simplicity also helped me appreciate simple pleasures and joys, weather, scenery, showers, flowers, food, sleep, bed, good company. And ironically, I think, in our overextended and overly busy lives here in the West, we may be so saturated and satiated that we are often not aware of the very basic and good and even best elements that are still present in our life. The second theme that I heard loud and clearly was a challenge about hospitality. And I pondered hospitality in two ways. First of all, I noticed that Spain is a more outwardly oriented culture than North America. One night and one rest day, I stayed in a bed and breakfast, and I noticed outside of the building that there was a nondescript alley. It was a graveled roadway between buildings with no vegetation in sight. Didn't look particularly pleasant or pretty to me. But as I watched throughout the day, I noticed that there was a straight wooden bench there on which an elderly woman sat all day. And around her cycled a continual flow of loud and boisterous visitors coming and going. Eventually, I realized that that was a day was a holiday. And I was impressed at how people just hung out and talked for hours and hours, and how seldom we see that here in North America. And I saw it in many towns that I went through. I saw locals sitting on benches, sitting near the fountains in the town squares, and just talking at a leisurely pace. The same was true in the cafes and restaurants. And I was struck by how hard it is in North America just to find a time to eat with others, let alone to hang out for hours on end. And the second way that I saw hospitality was in how the pilgrims looked out for each other and cared for each other. We all had something important in common. We all were on an arduous journey together. And so we helped each other. We helped companions, whether we knew each other or not. When we sat down beside a stranger in a cafe, we would share food. If we sat down beside a stranger at a fountain, we would share directions. And always the most important question about directions was, which route do you think is the shortest? We would tend each other's blessed blisters. We would find food and lodgings together. And most basically of all, we simply offered each other encouragement. And I realized then how isolated my busy life at home feels. I wondered how I could offer solace and support to others who are around me. I resolved to work harder at regularly inviting people into our home for meals. And finally, as I had expansive time on my pilgrimage journey to reflect, I decided to think about my life in terms of a pilgrimage. The life of faith, after all, is a pilgrimage. And so I decided as I walked, each day I was going to take a year and just think about and pray through that year and reflect on how God was at work in my life that year. So the first day, I decided to pray about the first year, and I realized I didn't have a lot to pray about because I didn't remember very much. The same thing was true on the second day. So I changed my plan, and I decided that I would reflect on periods of my life, periods of my life, and try to discern how God was active there from my earliest memories up until the present. 
And I found that walking while praying brings out many unexpected memories. Perhaps it's because of the rhythm of both arms and legs, maybe the other side of my brain that doesn't get used so much got stimulated. I'm not sure. But I had long, luxurious periods of time to ponder experiences and education and church and friends and family and acquaintances and to think about high and low moments in my life. And this is what I discovered again and again, that throughout my life there was a strong sense of God's providence, presence, and care. Throughout my life, I experienced God's guidance. Now, I don't pretend to like everything that's happened to me. There have been conflicts and losses and griefs and disappointments and betrayals. But now, as I looked back on them prayerfully walking, I could see that even those hard things were part of a bigger picture and that God, in the words of a Teze song that I sang many times every day, God leads me into life. For me, God's providence was symbolized by how people on the Camino marvel at all the serendipity and synchronicity that happens on this route. Well, that's the Camino, people would say over and over again. And in fact, one evening in a mountainside monastery, it was cold. I sat at a table outside, and there were two people at that table. One person was a woman from uh, London who, turns out, shared some friends in common with me. The other person was a retired Episcopal bishop from California, and turns out he shared some friends in common with me. Another time, I went to a bed and breakfast just by happenstance. I didn't really plan to be there. It just happened. And there were staying two Benedictine monks who had a number of mutual friends with me in both the denomination where I was raised and in the denomination that I joined as a young adult. Well, that's the Camino. But for me, these little incidents represented God's provision and God's care, a truth that I want to keep claiming and reclaiming in my life at all times. I have to tell you, as a former follower of Mark Twain, that walking this route was one of the hardest things I ever attempted, certainly the most physically challenging. There was yet so much, there was so much about this trip that was out of my control. And yet every day, I was grateful to be there, even on the hardest days. And every day I felt as if God was tossing bouquets of blessing and encouragement to me. And I long to maintain that kind of awareness and attention in all of life, because that certainly would be worth the walk. To the glory of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.